Hillsborough. I'm David Smith, and tonight the horror cult films team reunite to discuss the Scream franchise once again. It's the first big horror release of 2022, so we knew it'd be our first show back with you, and man am I glad we're not talking about yet another Hellraiser. Joining me this time around, I have Mr. Jim Lamming and our web mistress, Steph. Say hi, guys. Hey. Now, we've mostly avoided talking about this one in our group chats, so personally, I can't wait to find out what we thought of this one. I've got a feeling we're going to be disagreeing at this. Probably going to be two against one. But anyway, before all that, let's have a wee discussion about what else we've been watching lately. Happy New Year, Jim. What have you been watching lately? A few, as it's been a little while since we last recorded something, and we've had Christmas. And speaking of which, the HCF Secret Santa was so kind as to send a copy of Nightbreed on Blu-ray Ooh. my way. Did so you like I it? watched. Yeah, I loved it. It had both versions on there: the director's cut, which is also known as the Cabal cut. Um, which is the version I watched. And if you ask me, I don't know how they managed to get a 90-minute film out of that original. Because <laughs> I feel like the director's cut was too short. Mm. It was incredible. Everything from the sets, the story, the, the baddies, the, the nightbreed. I was, I was in love with it. I, from beginning to end, I thought it was fantastic. And you, you don't see films like that anymore. I mean, obviously, everything's all... CGI in that these days, but the amount of effort that has clearly gone into that film and the amount of love in there is just unreal. And yeah, to take that long to get a director's cut out is it just blows my mind that it's been so long. Yeah, I mean the only version that I've ever seen of this was the uh was the Cabal Cut. I saw it at Fright Fest back in twenty twelve. And I agree, I mean it just formed a coherent story. A very good film. That sounds totally negative, but it, like as you say, it's visually astounding. But I also don't know how you could possibly cut twenty five minutes or so off that yeah, movie yeah, and totally. still have a film. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, for what it is, it was incredible stuff. And I mean, uh, maybe it's because I was expecting a piece of crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, taken by surprise. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, also, whilst uh, on Clive Barker, I also got Rawhead Rex on Blu-ray as well. Not quite as good, but I still had a good time with it. I thought it was camp fun, really. Like, a, a really cheap, really, really, really cheap. Um, bad acting, set in rural Ireland. A, a, a weird ancient beast has been unleashed on the village, and it's just... It's one of the things where you wake up the next day and think, did I dream that? Or was it actually <laughs> a film I watched? It was just so surreal in terms of pretty much everything that was going on there. And like the monster just looked so shit in this film as well. <laughs> it really did. Like, like people um, talk about how like uh, you know the alien was meant to look phallic and then you see this thing. <laughs> yeah, it was it was absolutely terrible, but I had a good time watching it. I I, I enjoyed it, it was a good experience. ECV's film, Steph? <laughs> I've not, no, although Rawhead Rex is one I've wanted to watch for a while because it does look like my kind of movie. <laughs> I, I understand Clive Barker was really pissed when he saw it 
Because there's some concept art you can easily find online if a wee Google search for what the design for Rawhead Rex looked like. It looked kind of cool. Yeah, I was uh, looking at a few uh, um, stories and anecdotes and so on, and it's it's clear that the film is nothing like what they'd imagined, probably due to budget and everything. Mm. But personally, I had a good time with it. I thought it was good fun. Um, yeah. Um, moving on to something more recent, I watched Nobody. The uh, it's well an action film, kind of in the style of I, I guess John Wick and Red. Uh, it's by the same fight studio that do John Wick eighty seven eleven. It's uh, got it's Kirk. Yeah, that dude from Breaking Bad. Yeah, Better Call yeah. Saul. Is he, is he particularly convincing as a as like a, a gun shooting I, killer? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good fun. I've seen a few films like this. I that's what I like to call dad's exploitation, <laughs> which is that kind of weird fantasy that dads probably have, where one day they're an ordinary guy, the next day they're an ass kicking vigilante, I suppose. Um, and it was entertaining. Um, some good uh, cameos in there. Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, and he's just as badass in that as he is. Uh, yeah, it's just daft fun, really. But like a, a drier version of Red, if you've seen that with Bruce Willis and John Malkovich. Um, but very similar in in style to that. Only the fight fighting's a bit more gritty. So a lot of uh, blood broken bones, teeth getting knocked out, that sort of thing. Um, very good fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And also, completely, I'm only mentioning this because of a couple of things, but completely out there, I went to see House of Gucci the other day. Oh, I've still not seen that one yet. If you want to watch some A-list Hollywood actors do their best Italian voices, that's what you want to go and watch. <laughs> Because that's all you're going to fix on during that film. Yeah, there's a story about this massive Italian fashion house, but when you've got Jared Leto basically doing his Mario 64 impression <laughs> throughout the entire thing, it's a me, a Jared Leto. Let's go get the espresso. You know, literally talking like that throughout the entire thing, it, you just can't help but laugh at it. It's it's utterly ridiculous. You You do wonder if they had any moments of introspection on the set of that film. I think the only one who was kind of self-aware was probably Jeremy Irons, and you can see it in his face when he's <laughs> sharing the screen with Jared Leto. And you, you kind of feel a bit of second-hand embarrassment for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but very entertaining all at the same time. Yep. And uh, Steph, what about yourself? What have you been watching lately? Well, I think it's been a bit of a while since I last was on the HF podcast. So what have I seen? Um, the Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, was very keen to see that. A mate of mine is obsessed. His, him and his like, seven-year-old kid just love Ghostbusters. And they felt it was a bit of a, a letdown. They thought there might have been more to it. And I can definitely see what they mean by that. I thought there might be more ghosts, more adventure on that. But I think it was more of a love letter to, you know, the the first two films and it worked fine as something like that and it was nice it was sweet I, you know it wasn't there wasn't too much going on um because sometimes you've got films like and i'm thinking of pirates of the caribbean here 
where when it comes to sequels, they just decide for make the story so bloody complicated that there's just too much going on. So they kept it in the Ghostbusters movie, they've kept it very simple and you know, it's dealt with the grandkids, obviously the granddaughters, the spitting image of a grandfather. Yeah, nice and sweet. Um, Christmas time rolls around. What did I watch? Uh, Sister Act. For some reason, <laughs> I'm channel hopping during Christmas every year and I always end up watching Sister Act and it's on TV and I love it and it's a bit of fun and it's, I, I do have a lot of fun watching that movie. Um, but Everyone's going to have a Christmas tradition, you know. Yeah. For, 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 for us, it's a wonderful light visit Christmas movie. Oh, nice. How about you, Jim? Have you got a Christmas movie that you seem to watch every year? Uh, quite a lot. We, we tend to do what we call the Christmas movie advent calendar where we do a bowl full of Christmas films and draw one out every day on the lead up. Um, well, I also have a bit of a bizarre Christmas tradition. Um, my mum left on Christmas Eve and I was watching Masters of the Universe at the time. So from when I can, every Christmas, I'll watch Masters of the Universe for whatever reason. <laughs> or, you, fair enough. Are we talking, are we talking <laughs> the movie Masters of the Universe? Or the, oh, or absolutely. The yeah, the Dolph Lundgren classic. <laughs> One of Jerry Goldsmith's best scores, if you ask me. <laughs> And a recent one I've been watching was um, Romancing the Stone uh, with Michael Douglas in, and Kathleen Turner, I think it is. And that was a lot of fun. I'd, I'd never seen it, but I'd heard a lot about it. And that was just like a great sort of adventure comedy with a bit of romance in it as well. And that's just such great fun that we're kind of missing out on films like that nowadays, I feel. Although I don't know if you've seen the trailer for, I think it's called The Lost City with Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, and Daniel Radcliffe as the bad guy. Because <laughs> you've always got to have an English bad guy, haven't you? Um, <laughs> although Danny Radcliffe is substantially shorter than both uh, <laughs> Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, so it does look hilarious, the trailer. And I think that's kind of lifted the idea of um, a romance novelist who ends up in the jungle and needs rescuing of some sort. But yeah, if you've never seen Romance in the Storm, definitely recommend it. And yeah, Michael Douglas is looking good in that. I'll oil say that. <laughs> Something for the ladies out there. Yeah, he's a handsome guy. You guys remember when Michael Douglas claimed that he got uh, got throat cancer for going down on his wife? Oh no, filthy yeah, bastard! Yeah, but you try and forget these things, don't you? <laughs> yeah, he, he later he later claimed for that it was okay because he he cured himself of his throat cancer <laughs> by going down on her again. Um, oh I can't shit! Before <laughs> or after the divorce. <laughs> But yeah, he's an interesting fellow, is uh, good old Michael Douglas. Um, <laughs> I was a film that we're totally going to talk about, and I did see it lately, but I'm going to wait a few minutes until we're talking about 2021. So I'm going to mention... Have you got any other films you watched lately? But um, There was one more. Um, I actually watched a comedy with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder in called Destination Wedding. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I've never even heard of this. Yeah, I think it came like... It was released under the radar. I only remember the, the film actually coming out because there was um, discussion at the time about, obviously, both Keanu and Winona worked together in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, and obviously they were doing press for this new movie. And then it turned out that during Dracula, when they worked together and they did the wedding scene, that they was actually married by a proper priest. 
like a Romanian priest. So they're actually like, yeah, we probably are actually married under the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> so because at the time, for whatever reason, yeah, it all happened in the Church of God in the presence of a priest. So I just remembered that and I thought, well, I'll watch the movie. Very funny. Were those two ever romantically linked to each other beyond being married um, possibly by accident? I don't think they were. No, not to my knowledge. Um, I was going to see if uh, who everyone thought was more handsome, if Keanu Reeves in the nineties or uh, Johnny Depp in the nineties. Oh, that's a hard decision. <laughs> I was definitely a Keanu guy. Yeah, I think I would go for Keanu as well. I think I think that he'd probably want you more as well. That's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You could feel safe in his arms too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can definitely recommend it. It's really dry. It's Keanu's character's proper like pessimistic. He's currently on like a downer on everything, but it's so funny and Winona Ryder, her character. So they end up going to a wedding, a destination wedding. So basically flying out to a location for the wedding. And it turns out it's Keanu's brother's wedding or his stepbrother. And Winona plays the, the groom's ex-partner, ex-girlfriend, but she was actually like, I don't know if it was like a week or two out of getting married to him and he kind of left her. So, but but she's been invited to the wedding. So Keanu doesn't really like his bro- stepbrother that much and she's just going for closure. Um, so they both kind of like don't want to be there and them two really are the only people who actually have speaking roles in the film. And it's it's just so funny and they just rip it shit out of everything. And I really recommend giving it a watch because I'm not big on romantic comedies, but this wasn't like sugary, you know, the sugar-coated madness that you normally get, um, that sickly feeling. This was actually really quite good. So check it out. It's, it's different and worth a watch. Yeah, cool. It's not the sort of thing we would usually discuss in this podcast, but hey, we are breaking some new grounds <laughs> in 2022. Totally new show. Um, so, ones I've seen lately. First one is from 2021, but I'm not going to mention it later because it's not like it would not be towards the top of my list. But I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, the first half of this movie, I was just waiting for the story to really begin. I was not a particularly big fan of it. The turning point is where we've got the fight scene between uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and uh, Doctor Strange. Now, whilst keeping this as vague as possible, the stuff that came after that, I thought was really well done. When we got a lot more payoff for the many plot elements that we're watching develop in the first act, and uh, the situation just becomes a bit less stagnant, we have a more pronounced villain we have a we have, we have a uh, we have a more interesting collection of heroes shall we say i thought at that point it became a much better movie so uh as was the first time i saw back at this back at the uh the cinema cinema for ages because i hadn't, hadn't been going um on the run-up to christmas partly because i had covid which was uh problematic and um, but also partly because i was avoiding getting covid again to then pass on to other people around the christmas table so uh, yeah that's a very welcome return it's a, a wonderful bit in the movie where a member of the audience obviously hadn't seen the trailer and uh, bless him it's a bit where green goblin's ball of the first act just comes rolling down you hear it clink 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 this one voice goes no fucking way <laughs> <laughs> like that's ah, beautiful uh, but yeah Spider-Man uh, No Way Home it's not my favourite Marvel film not by a long shot but I uh, I do think it builds up to something very special and something that 
it does nostalgia very well, which uh, we may be discussing that later on in today's <laughs> show. Anyway, Sleepwalkers, the uh, Stephen King film, which is full of cats. It's such a gloriously strange film. And uh, what I really enjoyed about this one is it's told from the perspective of the villains. So we see just how odd the uh, mother-son relationship is in this one. Some of the effect sequences look really stupid. There's bits of plot that are just strange. But at the same time, it's it was really enjoyable. For me, it's for films directed by Mick Garris, this is definitely in the uh, in the upper echelons. You guys you guys seen seen Sleepwalkers yet? No, I've no. I have heard about it, but I've never seen it. Uh, same here. Well, it's got a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, little uh, meeting on screen between Stephen King and Clive Barker, who has a very brief cameo as a police officer. They don't really do very much, but you're like, oh, cool. I I don't know if it's a good film per se, but it's a really enjoyable film. Lastly, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Titan. Titan I might be mentioning in just a few minutes again, because it was one of my favourite films of 2021, but... This is such a good trip to the cinema. It's difficult to recommend. It's difficult to even talk about it. But like, this is not a film you walk away from feeling neutral. You're not going to leave and go, that was okay. This is perhaps best known as the movie in which a woman fucks a car. And yes, that does happen. (laughs) A woman does shag a car among other modes of transportation, and it's quite graphic. But at the same time, it ends up being something quite like kind of beautiful as well. Like a, a nice meditation upon the kind of need for unconditional love in our lives. That's not to say it's all sweetness. Like, this is a really disturbing film. There's more, like, ugh, visuals than anything else that I saw last year. You know, some of these images are really going to stick with you. And for a film that's got quite as much nudity as this one does, it's so aggressively unsexy. Like, this is the same director as Raw. So you're not going to be getting a uh, an easy ride here. And while I don't think it quite... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, I can't even do that on purpose, but it works. And it doesn't quite live up to Raw, uh, which is one of my favourite films of uh, was it 2018, whatever, when it, 2016, whenever it came out. It's not, it's not quite Raw, but at the same time, like this is such a good, such a bold follow-up, and I would strongly recommend it. Anyway, so that was also one of my favourite films of 2021. Guys, what did you think of 2021? Because I didn't really realise how fucking good it was until I reached the end of the year. And I went, oh, my top 15 films is actually really good. Yeah, obviously, bit of a slow start, but towards the end of the year, you look back and just realise how many times you've watched Mortal Kombat over the <laughs> But like, did you guys have any particular favourites for the year? Keeping in mind, this will be somewhat complicated because a lot of the films that came out last year will have release dates from 2019 or 2020 where they've mm. been held up. I mean, in some ways, 2021 was like the, the dumping ground in a way for stuff that should have come out the previous year. It's almost what we thought 2020 would be at times where it was, it was slow. But then so many good stuff was just going on streaming. So many good things yeah. were just showing up in VOD. Yeah, I would say one of the best films I watched last year was uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines, which was originally going to be released at the cinema, was then picked up by Netflix. Oh, it's so the animated uh, one, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the same studio that did Into the Spider-Verse. 
And again, they knocked out of the park with that. It was a cracking film. Uh, it's like a, an apocalyptic road trip uh, against technology. And it was really <laughs> good fun. Like, great film. And I was really surprised how good it was. And I would say probably my other favorite film of the year would be Psycho Gorman. That oh, was, yeah. was one of the ones I meant to see. Well, this is like Bigfoot and the Hendersons, but like <laughs> scary, right? I wouldn't say scary, but definitely a Bigfoot vibe. Um, if 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 Bigfoot was a homicidal alien, then yes, that that would be the best description <laughs> of it. It's so funny. It's by the same people that did uh, Manborg, which is also hilarious, and. Uh, I believe it was the void, but yeah, this it, it feels like a piss take out of those eight is kind of family put in that situation kind of films where they've got a stranger from the outside that is thrust upon them, and they've got to deal with it in their own way that they can, but obviously in a totally ridiculous kind of way, very gory, very silly, and very very funny. And uh, Steph, what about yourself? You got many favourites from twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, I've got to agree with Jim. I had that lined up in what I was going to say. <laughs> Steve Kaczynski's, um, or Kostansky, I think his name is, Steve Kaczynski, Psycho Gorman. I mean, that was fantastic. That was just, like, nostalgic. Um, the characters on how they, how they created them as well was just so inspired. It was like being a kid again, an 80s soundtrack, and it was just, oh, it's just awesome. David, you got to watch it. I can't believe you've not seen it. Um <laughs> I've seen I've seen one of his films. I've seen The Void, and honestly, like The, the Void's a really a really uh, really nice movie, right? It's it's kind of it's almost like a Clive Barker style film, right? Mm. Just use that name again, but it's weird to think of that guy making a comedy because <laughs> like the The Void takes itself very seriously. It's a very I, good I've, film, but I think The Void was their step up from low budget stupid films basically so people have seen Manborg that sort of thing and then he's obviously got studio money to do The Void and Psycho Gorman's an amalgamation of the two really yeah because look at, looking at his uh, IMDB right now we've got Leprechaun Returns for instance um, we've got uh, VBC uh, well actually that came after The Void fuck The <laughs> Void when Leprechaun returns maybe set up in advance you got got uh, Father's Day beforehand you got a whole load of shorts including VBCs of death too and Biocop will be on there as well that's, that's a, that plays after Manborg it's like a made up film trailer and that was so fun but all practical effects it's all done you know using props and masks and stuff like that is very good but I would say about Psycho Gorman as well, Steph mentions that it's quite nostalgic it, it has that vibe to it, that 80s vibe to the stuff you'd watch growing up be it stuff you shouldn't be, stuff you'd see on Saturday morning TV, unlike say the new Ghostbusters film Spider-Man, so they're, tap, they're trying to tap into nostalgia but in a more in your face heavy handed way that doesn't seem to pay off whereas psycho gorman it's subtle it's like you, you recognize what you're watching but you can't quite put your finger on where you've seen it whereas a lot of modern sequels these days which we're probably going to discuss shortly just feel like oh look remember this guy remember this <laughs> bit yeah whereas psycho gorman just does it in a much subtler much better way 
Cool. And it has like this main character, Mimi, and she's annoying as fuck. I mean, <laughs> this girl has done really, really well for, for creating this. Because this, it's basically focuses on like two siblings. There's other people in it, obviously, but um, but there's this girl and her older brother by a few years, but she's definitely one that wears her trousers and she's annoying as hell. But, you know, throughout the film, you actually get to respect that that's her personality. And it's just so funny. It's just one of those films that just puts a huge smile on your face and I couldn't stop smiling throughout it. Um, just trying to think of other films I watched last year. Yeah, uh, Benny Loves You, the uh, the one with the teddy. So you've got like basically like a Chucky scenario, I suppose, with this little teddy that doesn't want to be thrown thrown away by its, by his own ruse. I don't know, in his 30s, decides he's possibly too old for his favourite child toy. And Benny, his child toy, is not going to let him get away that easily and starts to <laughs> interfere in his life. Oh, it's amazing. If you've not seen it, I think it's uh, available on it was available on Sky. I think it's available on Amazon as well. The mm. year it came out uh, at Fright Fest, which I think was probably 2019, it was the most talked about film of that year. I'm so, not surprised. Like, a <laughs> lot, of, lot of people absolutely, absolutely loved this one. It's such a great. Film. I mean, you guys know anyway, and if you're watching, if you listen to this, even you'll know I love my creature features and things like that. So. A doll like comes to life is just right down my alley. And actually, <laughs> they actually made the dolls where you press the hand, it talks, you know, the sayings from the film. So, yes, of course, I have one. I've got one right here. <laughs> I, had to, I, was, I was there on the day that they put them for sale on the website. So if you're reading this and or listening to this podcast, should I say, then get over to darkline.co.uk. I don't get a commission, unfortunately, but, you know, <laughs> get yourself a Benny. Oh, can you, can you squeeze his hand so we can hear him? Oh, yeah, let me see if you, see if you can hear him. Can you hear that? Yeah, we did. <laughs> I'll see if he's got another one. There's <laughs> <laughs> about like 12 phrases. He's got like a little plush um, knife in his hand and it's <laughs> it's just absolutely brilliant in a little jazzy waistcoat. I, I mean, I love stuff like that. I've got so much film tat, it's unbelievable. I'm just thinking of other films as well. This one... I can't say it was a very well-made movie. Can't really say I enjoyed it because it's just violent as fuck. And I know David, you really wanted to watch this. I think for like, I think it came out at Fright Fest as well. Uh, the sadness. Mm, yes, that's right. I was doing oh. Fright Fest online, so uh, alas, I never got to see it. But yeah, I've heard I've heard this really pushes the envelope. This one. Yeah, it's very violent, um, sexually so as well. It it's. I must be getting old because, as we're going to discuss further on in this podcast, where scenes of really graphic violence and horror in that way just does not push my buttons. And not that it ever did, but definitely not anymore. I find it very a lot harder to sit through. And this was, I was in halfway through the film. Actually, I don't even think I was that. I was 30 minutes way through the film and I wanted it to end. That's how traumatising it was. For me personally, um, the sadness—it's just such a hard movie to watch in terms of the of the on-screen graphic violence. The story's interesting. It's it's got very much like um, the typical zombie film, um, where you've got survivors and the, you know they're just trying to stay alive. So it's got that typical sort of feel. 
Aye, because it's like a, a virus and everyone who gets it just kind of goes berserk, yeah? Yeah, it, it kind of pretty much, you've summed it up there, that they just go berserk and it takes everyone down to the natural primal instincts, which would not want to spoil it, which is basically turning to violence from a brutalistic fighting point of view or from sex. And yeah, it, it's not an easy watch by far, but it was really well made and it was done so... You know, I have to award it some credit for that. But yeah, it's, it's worth a watch, but it's not a, an enjoyable watch, if that makes sense. Right. Um, there's one particular film from last year that I want to bring up. First, I'm just going to mention, it's not close to my top, but I do want to bring it up. But we'll get to that in a second. Some that I really enjoyed. There's a lot of really good indie films last year, like Hotel Poseidon comes to mind. Uh, you know, you've got Black Bear, for instance. Uh, you've got... Uh, Nocturna, Side A was a great one. I really enjoyed Lucky. Uh, I really enjoyed Rogue One for World's Fair. But like for my overall favourites of the year, Last Night in Soho would probably would definitely make my top five. It was that uh, Titan, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, folks. This has just gone up on Shudder now. It's a three-hour documentary about folk horror. And honestly, it is so fucking informative. You watch this in installments, there's just too much to get your teeth into in one sitting, but like, this was one of the most complete documentaries I've ever seen. Uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes makes my list, and Promising Young Woman was the absolute best film that I saw last year. Strongly recommended. This is like a, a reverse rape, rape revenge film, or like, a, well, actually not reverse one, it makes it sound like you're watching The Rapist. This is, you're watching, it's a rape revenge by proxy film where essentially you're watching someone get revenge for uh, their friend. And uh, there's a lot of really good social commentary in this. There's a lot of really good dark humour. And it has such a brilliant finale. Uh, so bold, so like, oh, God, just w- watch this one, guys. Uh, guys, that was the absolute best film of last year. Um, can we talk about The Matrix for a bit? Always. There's always time to talk about The Matrix. Like, I've got a feeling we might be revisiting The Matrix at some point, just like a certain character in the new one, but like, this was like the opposite of Spider-Man for me, right? Where I really quite enjoyed the meta-sequel part, the first half of this, maybe even just the first third. But the longer it went on, the more it just fell into kind of the same trappings that the other sequels went into, you know, where the story becomes incomprehensible where the baddies become too abstract you know just i want to see a baddie that feels like a character again as opposed to being explained as like a bit of a computer algorithm like at Mm. least with smith you had bits when smith's able to detach himself from the matrix for instance take out the earpiece and there's a clear agenda there and this new one i just i just thought the plot the plot just went to the usual kind of uh, drivel where it was conflating uh, complexity with depth. It was interesting seeing that this one had uh, was three writers for it, including David Mitchell, who, had, who did Cloud Atlas, that the Wachowski sisters had made previously. I, I wonder if this film was rushed, basically. I'm wondering if this is an instance of, of like a big creative team, essentially a first draft, and then rushed reproduction because of COVID and the need to get a uh, blockbuster, which is heavily implied by the first section of the film itself. Well, I don't think it's even implied, is it? It's literally literally in the script <laughs> that this film is being made because 
Warner's wanted a new Matrix and they were making it with or without the original creator's input, weren't they? So mm. um, that, that's all you can say about it. it. It does feel like some of it is made well and some of it is made intentionally bad. Like the opening, the new characters, the way we're reintroduced to the Matrix was all done brilliantly. I was hooked up until about maybe two-thirds of the way through. And then as we start building up towards the finale, that's when I started losing it a bit. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say it got too convoluted. I mean, the, the original films spend a lot of time explaining everything, and I quite like that. I, I, I didn't mind sitting through these big deep dives into what the Matrix is, what uh, Zion is, all, all this. But, uh, yeah, there was... For a film like this, it, you're right, it does seem like the first draft of a script. And once you get to the finale, you're just lost. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the goal here? Who's the hero? What's even happening? It, it did seem to chase its tail a little bit sometimes. Yeah, and I think um, like with the, the opening third, something that it brought to the table, two, two things that it brought to the table which I really quite enjoyed were... Uh, had a sense of humour for a start, which one, even the most generous of Matrix viewers would not say the original trilogy had. But uh, secondly, and I guess this is the film as a whole, actually, I really quite enjoyed the Neo and Trinity relationship in this one. I think there's a lot more heart to it than we previously had, where I think the couple were meant to be rooting for. They barely seem to to talk in the uh, first ones. You know, it's very cold. Mm. It's very stylized. You couldn't really imagine what their banter is when they're not talking about the Matrix. They're not talking about the plot. So uh, yeah, I, I like that's that. that's true, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot to it as well to enjoy. Obviously, there's a lot of Easter eggs. You've got director of John Wick playing Trinity's husband oh, in, in the Matrix. Yeah, Which, Chad. <laughs> literally called Chad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we might be talking about another Chad later on. But yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, Steph, were you that's probably the biggest Matrix fan out of the three of us. Were you were you big on this one? Um say if we was keeping it in canon with the actual trilogy and that storyline, then it's I can't say not really, because it does feel like and like Jim's already said as was alluded to at the beginning, that this has just been forced by mm. Warner Brothers. I mean, I feel sorry for the Wachowskis because they had this vision, they had this story, and for me, they wrapped it up in the trilogy. They told it from beginning to end. To be honest, even one Matrix movie, for me, would have been enough. But not the, you know, they had the story with the war and everything, and now it wrapped towards the end in Revolutions. And you've got... Trinity helping Neo, you know, obviously Trinity sacrifice, not sacrificing herself, but you know, she obviously becomes a victim, you know, towards the end, and Neo sacrifices himself as well. The end. Oh, that's what it should be. But then you've got Warner Brothers, who I'm not saying this is what they think, but obviously, like a lot of studios, all they're interested in really is making money. So let's resurrect the entire thing. Let's probably bring the old characters back, something what we're probably going <laughs> to mention later on with the Scream thing. But that story was told, but you can't... It's like studios can't let things lie. No, they have to resurrect characters. They can't have, like, a, a bleak ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. But with, with Warner, because what other franchises do they have? They had Harry Potter, I think, right? Uh, 
DC universe that isn't exactly mm. doing so great. They're Warner, aren't they? So I suppose, yeah, what other IP do they have? Was it Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit that was Warner Brothers? I'm not um, sure, but, I mean, if I was the Wachowskis and I'd come up with this idea and I've got told that they're going to make it whether I'm involved or not, then I would have probably done what Lana Wachowski's done, make a fourth one. And this is what I feel has happened is I've put the nail in my own coffin and said, right, I'm going to fucking end this before it can go anymore. I'm going to put people off. I'm going to sort of tell a story, say what I want to say in it and make there not be like a demand for any more Matrix films yeah, because yeah. it has kind of bombed, really. I, you know, you hear people, I, see, I actually really enjoyed it. The more I thought about it afterwards, the more I actually enjoyed the film for what it, what it had to say on society, on technology. I mean, the Merovingian hmm. was fucking sounding off about life as it currently is and like technology and how we don't talk anymore and art and poetry and books and things. And I just, like I said, the more I think about it, the more brilliant it is. And I just feel like Lana, Lana Wachowski thought, I'm just going to write a big fuck you. Fuck you because all, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you Warner Brothers, fuck you film industry, fuck you all, all, all wanting fucking reboots, you know? And I thought it was very funny how they just kind of just basically riff off the original, riff off the fucking not even actually triumphant redo scenes, they'll just plonk the actual scenes in yeah. from the original <laughs> movies. I mean, because if you watch a lot of these reboots and sequels, all they're doing is telling the same story again. And and then, you know, The Matrix, the thing is with The Matrix, because they created so much, like, bullet time, that whole technology. And the actual story of The Matrix, which was so important, kind of got sort of abused and ended up just becoming like, oh, it's the sunglasses, it's the leather trench coats, it's bullet time. Mm. And people more focused on that. That's a Matrix film. Yeah. Oh, rather than the actual story that they had to tell. And like I said, I bas- I feel like this is a big fuck you. And they want to end end it and make make the demand not there anymore for another film. And I'm yeah. happy with that. I, <laughs> I mean, I'd, lo- I'd, I'd be very much happy if it returned to... Um, a special line of podcast for Discuss the Matrix in depth, David, if you're up for that, because I know yeah. you probably do. Like, I, uh, I, 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 I gladly do. I mean, you know, once part four comes out on streaming, because that would require a uh, notebook and lots of diagrams, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I, mean, I think with this one, something that annoyed me as a, as a meta-sequel, because we mentioned Spider-Man earlier, we're going to be talking about Scream, which is obviously a meta-sequel, and um, something this one didn't do that the others did, was the meta angle was not really worked into the rest of the story at all. Like, you could substitute the first third for a much more simple plot. Uh, sorry, like a much more, a much less self-aware plot. Now, don't think that we change anything in the uh, Acts 2 and 3. And that was just a kind of a mishmash. It felt like two different ideas awkwardly combined. It's mm. like, I don't think the film was intentionally sabotaged because I saw an interview where... Uh, Lily Wachowski, uh, it might have been Lana Tombit Lily, actually. Lily wasn't part of it because they were both grieving for the, for the loss of her parents, but they were both uh, they were both handling the grief in different ways, and this was the creative spark about bringing back uh, Neo and Trinity. So I'm wondering if it was the case of she was going to write it anyway, but then the studio were saying, you can't, look, here's your deadline finish this and uh and 
make it basically. Like I wonder if it was something more like that because the kind of inorganic part, the make a sequel, the meta part, feels tacked on. And I wonder if that came later in the process. And she was like, fuck you. I'm I wanna make <laughs> I wanna make the film that I wanna make, and now I'm gonna make a film about me trying to make a film that I wanna make. Yeah. The the whole first act, um, where it replicates the opening of the original film and it turns out this is part of a computer program being run by Neo because he subconsciously knows if he does this then it'll lead to the events that happen everything in that I thought was brilliant very clever but once we get to the really meta stuff that's kind of wears you down a bit (laughs) but a couple of good things coming out of this as much as I'd like to leave it where it is I would love to see more of the character bugs Yes, I thought yes. she was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, sure, God. I loved the train sequence in this. Like, that showed that uh, Lana can still make a fucking awesome-looking action sequence. Like, that was such a good shootout. It was made even better because I was watching it in uh, 4DX, my local Cineworld, so we're getting tossed around all over the place. Ah, <laughs> 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 right. Is that what they do, them screens? Yeah, is yeah. that what 4DX is? Like, uh, it, you yeah, it's watch them 3D fuck. things, yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> it throws water in your face and stuff. Is that what it is? Yeah, because every time it rains, like, suddenly, like, you get a from above, you know. You've got this little thing that stabs into your back every time someone gets punched. Oh, wow! I think I need to go watch this, re-watch this movie in a 4DX then. <laughs> it was great fun. And this is one of the films, if you're, if you ever get a chance, if you get a chance to watch in 4DX, do it, right? This is what this technology is made for. That made a, an average film, that made an average film seem good. So, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of the presentation, if not the movie itself. Uh, one other thing that I uh, wanted to bring up with this one, being kind of avoiding spoilers too much for for this one, just because it's not, you know, it's it's not the big name here. We're going to be spoiling the absolute fuck out of Scream here, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> with how they left this one, potentially there's an avenue to they could go ahead with. But something I'd like to see in a Matrix film is more of this idea of, uh, of buyer's remorse. Because... We talk about this in the first with Cypher, you know, Cypher is saying, look, you know, I want to completely forget about this being a simulation. I just want to enjoy a steak again. Right. And that's mm-hmm. the, the grubby deal that he's making. I wonder if you were awoken, you see the world for what it really is. And then you go, oh, I kind of miss like <laughs> my creature comfort, like you know, I I I, I miss being able to just like sit on my ass and watch telly. You know, I uh, I I miss my like my simulated uh, partner and stuff. Like the the kind of adjustment period, I want to see that more explored. Like with Neil going, Neil doesn't fit in in his world, so you can take him out of that world, and it's not like he's going to have an existential crisis about this. If anything. He feels better because he knew there was something else. Mm. Whereas a lot of people being like, if people are being forced awake, for example, then I reckon you've got quite a good premise of, well, we want to mutiny. We want to return to the Matrix. Yeah. You know, put me back in the machine if I don't know, but I don't care. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see that and go explore more. So, uh, Lana, if you're if you're listening and you're <laughs> making another Matrix, that's the way forward, I think. <laughs> But they could do so much as well from, you know, 
before the events of the first Matrix film. I mean, because I don't know if one point there was maybe idea of them exploring maybe other tales through maybe like a TV series. I know, of course, they did the Animatrix, which covered um, bits like that. Um, I, I suppose that's an opportunity. I know they did comic books and things, so you know maybe there's more more of that to do in in those books. But I think it's it's very rich idea. Yeah. And yeah, I think if it's allowed to be done properly with a story to be told, then it's good. But if they've had the ram up the back to make one purely for financial reasons, then that's not you know that's not cool. You mentioned uh, TV a second ago. I feel it'd be foolish if I did not quickly mention Yellow Jackets, everyone. If you haven't been watching Yellow Jackets on uh, Sky, you absolutely should. The first season is all done. It's now available. And this is such an intriguing little mystery drama. What a cast. It's like a much darker version of Lost in some ways. But we have two different timelines from the beginning. We've got, we've got a football team or a soccer team as they're going to be in the states uh playing crashes in uh, the wilderness somewhere in canada and the idea is well it's not been has it's not been outright said but the suggestion is that they resort to cannibalism and then we've got the present day where some of them are uh, characters in the present day and they're seeing repercussions for what happened in the 90s we don't quite know what happened in the 90s yet and uh, they're very good at like giving you little pieces, little little hints, little bits of intrigue. And unlike Lost, you don't imagine they're making it up as they go along. It doesn't seem to be quite as uh, bogged down in supernatural elements. We're not going to have time travel in this show. You know, we're not going to have like two gods fighting over an island at the end. I I hope. Uh, but yeah, Yellow Jackets is fantastic, and uh, other recent shows, the Dexter revival was fine. The finale was really good. I was a big fan of how it ended. I think it more than justified its comeback. But at the same time, uh, the season kind of fell into a lot of the biggest problems that Dexter, as a yeah, in its original run, did. Some uh, iffy writing, characters doing things just because it advances the plot, and uh, a huge overlines on voiceovers or Dexter's dark passenger, and this time it's Deborah as opposed to his dad. Uh, who's uh, speaking to him. And uh, last TV show I want to mention is Chucky. I did not think this show was going to work, but it really does. The first episode I was watching, I was going, oh no. Second episode really impressed me because you bring in this kind of caper narrative where you become complicit in wanting to see something happen. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to join in with Chucky here. And where it goes from there, it's just, it's... uh, yeah, it was, it's, as a narrative, it's quite challenging. You've got it's kind of torn loyalties of wanting to see horrible things happen. And then it reminds you, by the way, Chucky's not someone to admire. But as it goes on, it manages to honour all seven movies that came before it. Like, this is no mean feat when you look at how convoluted the lore of Chucky's got by uh, by Cult of Chucky. So, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. Strongly recommended. Also available on uh, Now TV in the sky, I believe. Uh, Jim, you're watching this right now, yeah? Yeah, I'm about halfway through. I think episode, yeah, I've just watched episode five, Ooh. and I'm really enjoying it. I know what you mean about the torn loyalties thing, because obviously you're watching Chucky because you want to see a comically violent doll murder people. <laughs> but <laughs> on the other hand, because it's a TV show, we're getting to see these people 
more than just being fodder. We, we see their daily lives, we see the struggles they're going through, and then you kind of torn as to like, well, yeah, do we really want to see them get killed, though? <laughs> um, and it's, it's good. Um, it's also pretty decent. It's like that teen kind of slasher style as well. I don't think any of the main characters are over 15. So mm. was, you've got that element of the kids on an adventure in danger, that sort of thing. That's always ups the stakes, I find, in, in stuff like this. Oh yeah, there's a really good sense of peril uh, running through this one. Um, I really enjoyed the Child's Play remake. Uh, opinion that I might justify it some other point of this show, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, I enjoy. I, I thought was I thought was really underrated. I thought was really good fun. But this, I am glad Don Mancini didn't get to make another film because we got this instead, and hopefully we'll get a season two of it. Without saying what happens, it kind of sets up a second season, or, or or at least there's a potential for a second season. Oh, the last scene, by the way, of this of this one is fucking hilarious. So uh, yeah, uh, enjoy when it arrives. Now we go from uh, comeback TV shows to a comeback movie, folks. Let's cut to the chase and talk about Scream Five. Certain rules to surviving. Believe me, I know. They always come back. The killer is a part of something in the past. This one just feels different. You're all in danger. Huh? Well, Sydney. I've seen this movie before. Not this movie. Scream 5. Now, I believe this is a special day for Scream, right, guys? It's to be the birthday of one Mr. Matthew Lillard. So, from horror cult films, Matthew, a big happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Hey. Uh, we're not going to sing the happy birthday song, because that would be uh, awkward and definitely... I don't know the words. Second skip. <laughs> <laughs> but, Scream 5. Okay, so... I got a feeling this is going to divide us. Oh, Steph, what did you think? Right, well, I sat down at the cinema screen. I didn't really have big hopes, even though, you know, there's been a lot of press on on the new screen movie saying it's, you know, shit hot. And some saying it's better than the original. I mean, I don't even know what they're thinking about. But, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a style. It did feel, you know, it had that Woodsboro feel. It had elements that had back to the nostalgia of the first films and things like that. But for me, it was just empty. It didn't have the sort of the heart of Scream, if that sounds... I can't really explain what I mean. It had the, the, the teenagers, okay, it had them, but they're all shallow. We didn't have the sort of characters that we were familiar with, for instance, in the first, second, hell, even the third, our fourth film, you know, and I'm not really a fan of... Scream 4, to be honest. Are we unfavorably comparing this to numbers 3 and 4? You know what? I'm going to say this. Scream 5 is not even as good as Scream 3. (laughs) I'm putting putting this at the bottom of the pack. That's how disappointed I am with it. This is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I'm slaughtering (laughs) this. The more I thought about it, the more I'm sticking the knife in myself. You know what I'm saying? It just felt very shallow, very empty, and I guess 
the person or persons behind the mask. Oh, we're doing really? full spoilers here. Oh, we're doing full spoilers. Yeah, yeah I guess the fuck it was quite early on. And it was just the character, I couldn't get involved with them. I mean, you had Sam Carpenter, the, the lead character, I couldn't gel with her. The whole Billy Loomis angle, fuck me. I mean, just fucking dire. I'm sorry. And Billy Loomis is fucking ghost. And, oh, I have to take pills so I don't become a serial killer too. But, oh, embrace your inner serial killer so you can rescue all your friends. Okay, I will. It's just like, what? And then, and then they just, they, they just got Dewey. I mean, in such a sick scene, and I, I referenced the, sil- uh, the sadness before, and now I don't know if I'm getting old or whether it just violence is going too far these days, but I just found it really sort of violence for the sake of violence where I found screen movies previously have a lot more humour to them. And yeah, I know they're stabbing the knife into someone, but I don't feel like the previous films showed as much. Had, had as much visual violence on the screen. The first three definitely didn't. Scream, Scream 4 was kind of a violent exception because I think they had to respond to torture films having come mm. out. But yeah, this was notably... Uh, I mean, without death, I was fine with that just because I thought, this is Dewey's death. We're killing a legacy character. It's his Han Solo moment here. Uh, spoilers for Force Awakens. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's his uh, Han Solo moment. He's going he's gonna to get killed here. Let's make it horrible to watch. Like, for me, I thought that was okay. But I, I'd agree, this is a more violent film than we'd seen in any of the previous ones. Yeah, I mean, you've got um, that Wes, the lad with the blonde hair. You know, we thought we might get a psycho moment, you know. And they even had... That pissed me off as well. And I know Ross isn't here today, but I remember in his review, and he's mentioned it, that he found the idea of, ooh, is somebody lurking behind the open fridge door? <gasps> No, is someone working behind the closet door? No, and it's like, oh, you know, and, and, and but to have that, you know, Wes pinned up against the door and have the knife go into his face and it popping out at the side, do we really need to see that? It, it just seemed very violent. <laughs> and I know, we, I know this is horror movies, I know this is slasher movies, but it lost the sparkle, that, the fun element that the screen movies always seem to have, you know, and I'm not really, like a great lover of the third and the fourth film, but they still had that sense of it, and this didn't. And and to be honest, the fact that they're all related somehow to the fucking characters out of the first film, I don't know, it just fucking bored me shit. It just seemed <laughs> really cheap and crap in, in terms of how they were trying to tie it to it. it. Oh, can we just put a nail in the coffin of scream now because I'm sick to death of all these bloody remakes when there's a load of talented writers out there with new ideas. Let's just fucking stop it. Eh? Let's stop it. <laughs> One thing I did like about this film, uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown, very good. Oh, yeah. And I yeah, wish also in yellow jackets. Also yeah. in yellow jackets. And she was in uh, Sound of Violence. Yeah. Yeah, right. she was good in that. Um yeah, she was a really great character, and I wish we saw a bit more of her. And there was, there was something about that, Wes, Mr. Blondie. I don't know, he, he looked an unusual character, and I think I would have liked to have seen more of what he would do, but or what his character might have in store. But unfortunately, it was one of the first ones that go. So, yeah, I, I, didn't, really, I didn't really enjoy mm. it. And Jack Wade, he's, yeah, he, he had that horror, you know, he, he had that angry element, but he's, he's just too nice a face. And I watch him in The Boys, and he's he's just <laughs> too nice. I can't, I can't equate to that. 
Right, Jim, you got to have something positive on this one. Well, I was definitely a little more open-minded going in. I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I know Ross was getting excited over the reviews coming in. Uh, it was like a transfer deadline day for him. But uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, I was I was into it for at least the the first half of the film. I was really following. It. I was you know enjoying what I was seeing. I thought the opening was pretty decent. Call back to the original. Um, and it surprised me by them not actually killing the victim they were tormenting at the mm. very start. So, you know, I thought, oh, we're getting a change in direction here. It's, it's I mean, not going to be the same. So scream that, you know, we've got the uh, obviously phone of the suburbs. Yeah. You've got Chekhov's inhaler being introduced. Uh, yeah. As soon as someone's got an inhaler, you know, that's going to be used to their detriment later on. Because like, <laughs> someone not just have asthma and it not be their downfall. <laughs> he even got the technicality for why they uh, got the, the last question wrong as well, just like the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's Scream. It's going to be meta on different levels. They're going to have something they're moaning about. They're going to have something they're trying to replicate. I, in this one, you've got them taking a the piss out of A24 style horror films which yeah. mm. <laughs> I, I guess it's the kind of snobbery towards it and the other horror subgenres. see this is something I, I take this over Scream 4, 4 for because it acknowledged that horror had moved on and Scream 4 they went we're just not really going to mention uh, you know we're going to allude to torture films a little bit but we're not really going to mention that people aren't making slashers so yeah. they, they make it about remakes whereas with this one, I quite liked it very explicitly saying, look, slasher films, for a bit long in the tooth nowadays. Like, the, the whole elevated horror thing is obviously a load of bullshit, and we can go into that another time. Yes. But, uh, although uh, you could argue that 1996, Scream itself was probably elevated horror. But I, I, I quite liked for just sort of showing, like, do people really make slashers? And that's almost acknowledging the uphill battle that this film's going to have mm. to uh, to work. Yeah, and it it did kind of subvert my expectations obviously it does touch upon it as we get further into the film but this one's just called Scream not Five Cream as Steph was (laughs) hoping for oh yeah Five Cream (laughs) so I'm thinking oh are they going to get rid of the original cast are we going to have like a soft reset here everyone's going to get killed off and we're going to start from scratch maybe but as we've already mentioned, the only one of any significance that does meet their fate in this one is Dewey, mm-hmm. which was probably the most upsetting. Uh, <laughs> I found him the most endearing character out of uh, all five of these films, uh, you know, accumulatively. Um, Gail, I probably wouldn't have batted an eyelid if she had have met a demise in this one, because she felt like she was there because... It's who she was. Gail is uh, Gail's my favourite character in the original films, and she was different in this. She was far less of a boot this time around. You know, they had like, oh, she's got her film crew there, but we do believe her when she says she's ninety percent there for Dewey. Yeah. You know, you've got um, <laughs> the bit where uh, Sid says, "Oh yeah, that was a bit of a Gail Weathers thing to do," almost like harking back to the past when Gail was just kind of like. Like, like basically the, the, the sort of low-key yeah. antagonist in the film. 
she so she definitely changed. Still, I quite liked. Um, I sort of drew attention to the absurdity of her character. We were like, you know, we're going to have uh, like the uh, morning TV presenter doing this, and you're like trying to imagine Kay Burley solving a crime. <laughs> <or something, you laughs> yeah, it is an idea for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Kay Burley and uh, Susanna Reed solving a crime together. But. Yeah, it, it does highlight how absurd some of the characters' arcs have become. And yeah, Gail's not there for her own personal gain this time. She's there because she's genuinely concerned about Dewey. And I've got to say, it was lovely hearing his theme music played. Again. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're seen together. I, I was, firstly, I didn't expect that we'd even share a screen at all because obviously in real life, the two of them were divorced and apparently broke up on screen four. It was interesting that they, that they kind of acknowledged that within the movie. We're going to have the actors talk about their breakup, and I thought we got some really quite uh, quite heartbreaking moments in that. Like I liked the some of the dialogues a little bit forced, especially considering that we can. Uh, Julie said they hadn't spoken in two years during this, but the idea that we had that they'd go well this is what the problem was talking about New York as if that wouldn't have come up we know these might be kind of passive I don't buy that he would have just done a runner and not said anything about why he mm-hmm. left still the bit where he's telling her you know it's um, it's okay in the morning because he gets to pretend he's still with her I thought that was really sad I thought Dewey's life in it was really sad I, uh, and yet there's still this kind of goodness there you know he, he originally tells him to fuck off but then he calls Sid, and then Sid goes, you know, they're lucky they've got you to protect him, and that's reminding him what his role is, what his role's always been. And, uh, you know, Gail says it herself when uh, when she refers to Dewey as, as her best friend since she, after he dies, since he's no longer her partner. But the main thing that stuck out to her was this is a guy who's committed to helping others. It just ended up being his downfall. So, yeah, I really liked what we did with Dewey. It was sad. One of the legacy characters was going to die. I sort of thought it would be him, and yet I still found it really quite moving. And also, as I said earlier, the brutality of how they did it, I thought was really good. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was heart wrenching. You know those guys. You know, like I said, as I get older, I get more weepy. So I was, <laughs> so I was in the cinema, and I could feel myself actually sort of getting a bit probably teary eyed behind because obviously. Dewey, Gale and Sydney are the three characters that we've started back in 1990s with today. And it was kind of sad because it was like a goodbye. And But I felt that Nevin, um, Courtney's role as Sydney and Gale, they didn't really feel like they had much character involvement in this, where they did in Scream 4. They just kind of were brought back in because obviously Ghostface was back. And um, they're just a bit more on the sidelines. I know they got brought more into it in the in the last act, but they just seem like they're because it's a screen film and obviously we have to include these characters, whereas obviously Dewey's role was more integral to the plot a bit. So yeah, for me I think if they can if they want to continue the Scream series, I think they're better just leaving Gail and Sydney out of it. If if they all had gone, mm. it would have felt, you know, all right. Yeah, this this is where I thought they were gonna give it the the restart, I suppose. I thought mm. they were all going to get killed off. Like when when Dewey got killed, yeah, I thought, here we go, this is the start of it. 
but mm. they just left it at that. Um, <laughs> so. I, I loved what, as he's dying and, you know, they're saying presumably Amber. And by the way, that is so not Amber in that gown. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was like, that's not her. He's like, maybe... him around. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, for God's sake, this stretches bloody reality. Like, and she's, she's, she's like the same height as him and thrown him over yeah. his shoulder. Like, <laughs> but he's completely a bloke underneath that, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or a very tall woman. <laughs> well, yeah, but not, not her. Um, I did like it she's killing him she goes it's an honour which I think was that to me felt like this is a director's uh, radio silence who directed this they two also did Ready or Not you know it felt like uh, this was them saying you know this is it's an honour to be able to play in this toy box to be able to use these characters here and also to be able to kill one of them Yeah. Uh, (laughs) yeah I was a big fan of that with the new characters, what do we think of them? Like, I get what you mean that they weren't as um, they weren't as like immediately accessible, in as much as they weren't like as distinct. Uh, I did like that they added like fucking psychopaths about people dying around <laughs> them, just like in the oh, original. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're more interested in talking about movies and who who will be next, giving their fan theories, than uh, the actual threat that they're clearly <laughs> in. Um, but at the same time, I agree that they weren't the most interesting bunch. Uh, Tara, the younger sister, was the most dull character. She was just simply too pure. You knew she couldn't be the killer. They tried to imply she was, but you knew she couldn't be because she was either in hospital for for the deaths or present during the deaths, right? So it's yeah. obviously not going to be. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was um, a terrible misdirection <laughs> but she was far too uh, she was just far too boring but the character Liv who they even made fun of for being boring although that <laughs> bit where she's shot in the face that was a fantastic death I can't even remember that that's how much this film left <laughs> was, an impression on me whereabouts was that it was Amber's there like you know uh, Liv goes I'm not the killer and Amber goes I know and then oh yeah, yeah. reveal that was eight <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the twins were quite the twins had more of a character to them, I thought. Um, yeah, you know, that, that Chad with, he had his, because Liv was his girlfriend, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that bit where he turns down sex from her because he's... <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Uncle Randy too much. <laughs> he's like, I'm not, I'm almost 100% sure you're not the killer. It's like, uh, you know, for for a guy you are calling Chad there, it's interesting to see him turn down sex. <laughs> Uh, he was probably one of the more interesting of the teens. He definitely had more personality than a lot of the other kids. His death was fucking stupid, though. Like, as he's walking towards the bush with that find my friend thing, you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, regularly, these films take you by surprise with the kills. That one just didn't. And uh, although the bit where he's trying to get the, he's trying to touch the phone, but he's got blood on it, so he can't. I thought that yeah, was really cool. Yeah, that was that was pretty neat touch. Mm. But again, is this a comment on technology ruining films like this? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was at a premiere for uh, a movie called Right to Spring many years ago, and the film was just mysteriously set in the early nineties. It doesn't really commit to that. The director was asked afterwards, why do you sit in the early 90s? He goes, look, I didn't want to have to write the mobile phones out of it and have people like dropping them in a bucket or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just set in the 1990s so they wouldn't exist. I was like... Yeah, there you go. That's, that's, that's all it is, isn't it? it? Mobiles can be 
too easy of a, an escape clause, can't they? So. I've got to start defending this movie a little, right? That beginning sequence, I thought, was really well done. I loved the way they were able to use the quiz format to introduce new audiences to the main characters. Hey, one of them, they talk about the survivor, who is, of course, uh, Sydney Prescott. We'll get more from her later. They mention Gail Weathers wrote the book. And then they mention that Billy Loomis and uh, Stu were the killers. So really neat world building there. And I thought the way that it... The, 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 the way that it did the meta commentary, you're expecting this as a scream film. Mm. I really enjoyed that. I liked a bit of sitting down and talking about requels, you know, this kind of combination of legacy characters and uh, mm. new characters and like acknowledging when a series has gone no longer than it should and so on and so on. Like, I thought that sequence was really well done and more so than the kind of shallow talk about sequels in part two and the sort of non-existent bit about trilogies in part three. Like, there's not really a whole lot of horror trilogies, despite what that film tried to do. And then part four, which sort of bypassed a lot of recent developments. I thought that this was really committing to the Scream concept again. And, uh, oh, I loved the baddies' motivation as well. The toxic fandom stuff was so well done. Don't mind, like, you know, oh, how can fandom be toxic? It's all about love. You know, you sort of people who you imagine were, like, sending abusive messages to Ryan Johnson, who was quite funny. Yeah. He made shit stop him. Or, like... You know, like, sort of people who never even played The Last of Us Part 2, but just know it's shite because it's got a lesbian in it. You know, that's yeah. that sort of fan. Like, I loved seeing them at them being the, uh, like, being the villain, that kind of mentality. Because the thing is, the film's gonna be dismissed anyway, but I liked that it was taking a pop at a lot of people who will, <laughs> who will also hate it. Yeah, but it kind of got a bit too meta for its own good by that point, if you're asking me. Because you've you've literally got Gail saying we're going to make sure no one remembers these two <laughs> after mm. being killed. And, you know, you're going to write a book about it. No, we need to forget <laughs> about these. And on oh, the yeah, bit where he goes, the... uh, it's a bummer that it's me, isn't it? And <laughs> imagine a lot of the audience like, yep. <laughs> yeah, because like you look at this guy, you you can already see his punching above his weight as it is, and then look into how elaborate their fucking plan was from the get go. It's like the chances of him going out with Sam were pretty fucking slim in the first place. Yeah. So he's got to have been doing some top tier gaslighting to get with her. <laughs> <laughs> He's a handsome chap too, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, trying to, you know, find her in some dusty outback town where they supposedly yeah. live. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or we just, him and bloody Amber just tucked up on Reddit or wherever. Oh yeah, let's go find her. And we know yeah. that the fact that she's Billy Loomis's daughter. Oh, I wish I could bloody forget it, Jim. Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. I was saying I'm going to agree with you guys on Billy Loomis. The daughter concept was okay. It doesn't make any sense that, Bill, that uh, if it's about Billy Loomis's daughter's coming back, ooh, why she'd want to kill a relative of student make any sense? Why she'd want to kill Deputy Hicks, who wasn't even there, would make any sense. Uh, and Deputy Hicks's kid. Or, sorry, uh, detective they are now, isn't it? They're not deputy any longer. Mm. But seeing Billy in the mirror... Pointing her to to embrace her inner serial killer made absolutely no fucking sense. Right? <laughs> this is a series where killing villains is standard, right? 
Sydney has killed villains multiple times in this by now. Tapping into her inner serial killer is completely inconsistent unless we're meant to think that Sydney and Billy are somehow equivalents. This has never been implied by the world these films take place in. Okay, it's, this is a world where the police are completely useless if they're present at all, right? You know, it's weird to try and redeem Billy since she's also surrounded by inspirational characters. She's got Sid, she's got Gail, she's got Dewey. Fuck, she even has her own sister. And yet she needed him there to tell her to defend herself. It could have worked if it had been implied that she'd go on to kill more people, so that's her embracing her serial killer, as opposed to embracing her inner self-defender, which Billy mm. isn't, because he's a, he's a killer. Um, if he if then, oh, she's going to kill more people, for instance, like maybe she dons the mask. Or at least it could have had a bit where she has the opportunity to kill Ghostface, but chooses not to, and then Ghostface ends up killing someone else because she didn't kill Ghostface. Where she's like, I'm not going to be like you, Billy, I'm not going to kill Ghostface. That could have made it meaningful, but it just made no sense that she needs him to complete her arc, especially as the arc is undone the moment it's over, since she's presumably no longer a serial killer. Like, making her Billy's daughter, that was absolutely fine, but his appearances, which admittedly the CGI looked all right on it, you could have removed all of those, and I think the storytelling would be neater than it was. For me, that was the film's single worst part. And I say that as someone who generally really quite liked the film. Yeah, it was silly, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was taking things in a new direction at first. I thought, oh, maybe we're having a bit more of a supernatural twist to this rather than the same old stick we've had the last four films. Mm. But that quickly went out the window. Was, you know, we, we, we get the reveal but, yeah, it did seem pointless. It, it felt like it was there for nostalgia purposes, fan service, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The kind of thing we've already talked about a few times already. And, yeah, bits like that, we've got far too many sequels doing the rounds at the moment with silly callbacks to the previous films. Remember this guy? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, what would have been clever or even more fun is if it was the Billy Loomis from the Stab films rather than the Scream film, because she's not going to know what he sounded like. Yeah. That's he died when he was a teenager. So yeah, how funny could, would that have been? You know what? I was getting ready for this. I was like, she could have researched him through, through like, documentary evidence. And you're like, but the voice. I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Like, how would she know what he looked like? Especially at the point of him, you know, like, murdering pretty much people in Stu's house. Yeah. How did the hell did she know what he looked like back they, then? They have photos. They've got that lovely bit where we're in, uh, we're in Randy's house and they've got, like, this weird publicity photo <laughs> of Billy Loomis. Yeah, but the weird is covered in blood spots and everything. So this is, like, finale of Scream. Yeah, like, holes in a t-shirt and everything, yeah, they're all jabbing each other. I can buy that someone recorded the news in the VHS <laughs> she saw it later. But, but yeah, the, the voice part, I've got absolutely no nothing to combat that. You're like, unless Billy Loomis, like, you know, was had a lot of home videos or something. How to so. be a serial killer. <laughs> oh, that... that Attack scene in the hospital was so stupid. Like, yeah, the thing yeah. with Scream is, you've got this sort of balance between saying, all right, we're going to make our uh, 
our our killer is going to get like lamps chucked at him and shit like that. But this was just too scrappy. Like at that point, I was going, I don't really buy this killer as a threat, which is perhaps why they went, hey, we got to add stakes, we got to kill a legacy character, and then do that later on. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, it seemed to me like the killer was never going to kill her. It was always a thing, so the police will go get someone of authority. Look, the guy's in here, and then they're gone. Which, mm. I think at this point, we've realized it's Richie who is the killer. Did, did, you, did you guys both call that? Yeah, it's it the only person it could have been, if you ask me. As soon as Richie's on screen, Emma turns around and whispers, he's going to be the killer. I, I generally didn't, because because like we knew there was going to be... We didn't we kind of knew there was going to be more than one, right? Um because we didn't establish it. And this is a potentially a bit problematic because knowing that Richie is one of them and so is Amber, then they need to establish the distance between Amber's house and Tara's house at the start, which they didn't establish for this to, uh, for, vi- for this to have worked because we've got uh, Amber being filmed while she's at her computer, which we, mm. which we think is meant to be live. I suppose it could have been recorded earlier. Yeah. And the killers in the house. Yeah, I suppose it could have been that. But, yeah, uh, like, I, I, I didn't necessarily think it would be Richie, because I was, I was basically expecting Stu to come back for this one. So I was expecting him to be the second killer. <laughs> that would have been something. Or at least um, Amber was seeing him in the mirror. Because <laughs> <laughs> even the guy, like, uh, uh, he had a telly pushed on his head, I believe, but we don't, we don't know that he died. <laughs> He's been severely yeah. injured. I think, you know, I think Scream fans like to perpetuate the idea that he's still there somewhere lurking in the background, ready for pop out and don the mask once again, but I don't think that's happening. I don't. I know the actor keeps appearing as different, like, as different characters and stuff in, in the different movies, I believe. Didn't well, Ross say he appeared as, in one of the Stab movies with, like... Yeah, when they were watching the clip of Stab 8, he was the ghost face with the flamethrower. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. But uh, I, I mean, I, I just thought they'd, they'd bring him back. So apparently one of the earlier versions of Scream 3, one of the earlier concepts at least, had him in jail kind of leading like a kind of cult of uh, Ghostface. <laughs> That'd actually be more interesting, yeah. to be honest. Just, yeah, going off the beaten track would have been fantastic. Like, it, as I say, it could have even been his fucking ghost doing it uh, for I also, all I care. <laughs> <laughs> Been possessed. Uh, because also, the reason I didn't think it was going to be him was we were doing the double bluff thing again of making you suspect him. And then Dewey calls it immediately, right, on site. And then he even talks about who obviously is at the end, right? But because they had so many times when someone suspected him, and I assumed it wasn't him, I did like for him and Amber, through the very few scenes that they actually shared in the group, I liked that they both were uh, repeatedly implying it was the other. Like, like, oh, nice story, right? Like, the two of them were frequently accusing one another of uh, being the killer. And that almost made you think, nah, neither of them's the killer. And also, they had a bit of uh, what me and my twin brother, who might be on this show soon, we sound alike, so it's going to be a, a fucker of an episode. <laughs> but we have this phrase of kind of like, like the Hoffman effect, named after uh, the Saw series, where once Hoffman is outed as the killer... The actor changes the way that he performs the role where everything he does becomes suspicious. Right? And it's not like that before we know he's a killer. Then in 
number six in particular, once other people start suspecting him, then he just becomes really, really suspicious. And throughout that, I was like, Richie's just too suspicious. Like, mm. nah. Like, I, I didn't think it was him. I, I, I didn't, like I said, if, if it wasn't Stu, I didn't know who it was going to be. I knew that when Amber suddenly shoots, I was like, well, she's obviously not the main killer here because that would be a total anticlimax. For me, the um, you know the scene at the beginning where she gets the phone call, Sam, that her sister's in hospital and that this accident's happened. Well, not an accident. <laughs> Understatement at the century. <laughs> uh, and Rich is like, no, I will come with you. It mm. just was like, it seemed forced. And 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 again, when um, Amber was on screen and she seemed to have this special relationship with Tara in terms of she keeps her inhaler at her house. I mean, I just thought... There's something there, but we didn't really see much of Amber throughout the rest of the movie, really, in terms of yeah. after maybe her appearing at the bedside and being a bit overprotective. And that was just like alarm bells for me because I thought, you know, who who is this character who then disappears mm. really then for most of the movie? And then it's conveniently towards the end. So um, with Jack Quaid's uh, Richie, when he picks him up at the hospital and says, fucking getting out of Woodsboro because it's, you know, <laughs> not the place to be. And... You could just feel that, oh, this is who I thought it were. It's definitely them. And I was hoping until the last minute that I was actually wrong, that there was going to be a twist, that, you know, because it just seemed very obvious. And I thought, hmm. no, there's always, it always tends to pull the rug from underneath you, you know what I mean? Like the Sam turns around and goes, I'm the killer. Yeah, I mean, to be yeah. honest, they could have done a belter and how do you magically come back ungutted and, <laughs> and die, you fuckers. I'm killing all of you, you know what I mean? I don't know. It, and I'll tell you what, we was referencing the, you know, the technology of today. I feel like that really sort of lessens attention of of movies. Like, for instance, she's there tapping on a phone, locking the doors, unlock, lock, unlock. Everything's so quick and easy with technology nowadays that it loses that sense of tension that, you know, running to the door and actually physically locking it can bring. I thought that was kind of neat, though, because it's sort of saying no matter how good your tech, you're still vulnerable. Well, yeah. Right. But that's that's a middle-class problem I'll never have, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could have had, you know, like a bug in the machine and that, you know, the, the house wanted to kill her. But it, it's kind of, I, I just don't <laughs> like the idea. It seems so easy with the technology nowadays that it kind of loses the effect of physically having to lock a door. Something about that. I mean, maybe I'm just. No, I, I think we're saying to you, to you, like, I mean, I, I guess it's a, I guess because we're, we're saying, okay, this is the suburbs we're using here. We're using people with these fucking huge home alone style houses, right? Then uh, maybe we 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 can we can play with this sense of security that you'd usually have there. Like, oh, you've got all your fancy gadgets. I mean, as Jim says, this is a very, uh, it's quite, it's, uh, certainly a more of a middle class thing. This would be, I mean. Like, I regard myself as middle class, and the thing that we, the biggest threat to me would be selling my coffee machine that <laughs> goes a bit haywire, right? So, you know, like, this would be, this is probably like the top, the top 5% or something like this. Like, the upper echelons of society, you have a fully automated house that can lock with a button. And they're, not, and they're not fucking safe here because the killer just has a knife and knife, knife beats phone, you know? And clearly they can hack into the house as well. With how to the house's mm. security unlock. Alexa, please phone the the fire brigade, the police station, the ambulance. I'm being murdered by Ghostface. Do you know what I mean? You know, if they had all that technology, they would have had some sort of CCTV action going on. And oh, nah. Oh, I tell you, a bit of light was <laughs> when uh, 
Uh, Rachel sees sees Sidney getting attacked. And goes, oh, it's Ghostface! <laughs> As if it's a fan moment. Like I quite liked the uh, what we think is meant to be him getting into the series when he's watching this. Uh, you know, we think it's meant to be his first time and things. Obviously, it's not. But uh, in fact, some fans have pointed out two cool things about this. Firstly, with uh, the YouTube videos, they confirmed that Kirby lived. Yes, good old Kirby. <laughs> uh, but also. Sometimes I pointed out, so this is, I'd love to say this was something I caught, but it wasn't. They give away that he's seen more than he claims. Because when they meet Dewey, he says, Ah, oh, you used to date her. But they wouldn't have broken up until Scream, until, uh, well, Stab 4 or 5 came out. Which he would have had to watch all of that morning. So, mm. uh, yeah, basically, the clues are there. Yeah, and I always found, like, as I say, from that scene in the hospital where. Sam's being, well, has an altercation with Ghostface. And she goes back to the room and he's just sat there watching Netflix on his phone. That's when I thought, yeah, that, that's got to have been him. I, I know there's normally more than one, and in this case, yet again, there is. Would have been a nice twist if it was just the one guy this time. Mm. <laughs> oh, three. Could have been yeah, CJ Gale and Dewey thinking, let's just murder everybody in Woodsboro. <laughs> Things we, we, we learned something from uh, oh, right. um, they learned something from a TV series. From a TV series, uh, uh, as far as I recall, it was only ever one killer, right? Which meant that they had to have a very small character being the killer because each character has to be in danger at some point. Whereas I think the format for having two killers, uh, like the good thing about that is it means well you can consistently put Richie in in danger and getting battered a bit. To remind you that it maybe it isn't him. Because the tagline for it was the killers on this poster, I, w- I was maybe going into this kind of thinking, would just be a single one, uh, one for yeah. some sections maybe? I don't know, but a couple of a couple of wee things here. I enjoy Dewey acknowledging that he's been stabbed nine times. Right? You got a <laughs> bit where Wes slags him off and he goes, uh, maybe you're the killer because that got deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny though. Uh, there's little bits like that that just made me laugh. With Wes, so did you both hate that kill? Because as Ross was saying, it's like, oh, the cupboard, oh, the fridge door. Because genuinely, I quite enjoyed that. Like, we were watching this going, we know that he's going to die here. Then the uh, misdirection is, no, it's the mummy dies first. And then with him, where you're like, all right, that fucking cupboard door, why are we watching a guy like take some dishes out? Yeah. Uh, and it just kept building and building, and then I guess because we we're, we're suspecting it will happen, you get the, the release from this is maybe the violent part where the knife goes through his cheek. So you're like, oh, yeah, just a bit gratuitous, well, and it's the whole the thing with the doors and that the joke got thin pretty quickly. Um, and like I said, because it, the the camera was watching him putting out the plates for sushi or whatever his mum was bring, meant to be bringing home. You just knew something was going to happen. And yeah, it was just a bit too much for me. I just didn't, it didn't feel right. For, for me, it, it worked because this has come just after the Agatha Christie scene. This jury with all the kids sat in the room discussing mm. the films, what the tropes are why that shouldn't work, why this would work, all that sort of thing. And then the very next scene, we've got all these horror tropes, callbacks to Psycho, stuff like that, you know, the 
the building tension in music, and then there's nothing when the door closes. All that sort of thing played in, you know, played off from the scene we've just had, where they're discussing horror being stale and that sort of thing. So I thought I thought it was a fun little joke more than anything. Mm. And, yeah. and and as for the kills, I thought Wes was going to go somewhere. I, I he seemed quite interesting compared to some of the other kids. Um, and it and it did look like he was maybe hiding something, but yes, it just. That that was it. <laughs> There's nothing more to it. Yeah, because I think they're trying to they, they're suggesting that he fancied Tara a bit at one point, but they didn't. Like there wasn't really much to that. I yes. I thought he was going to live longer just because he's uh, he's a famous actor or or he's one of the more famous of the young cast there because he's a guy from Thirteen Reasons Why where he plays the the joint lead. He's also in that piece of shit uh, open house. So like I sort of thought, all right, well he's gonna be, uh, you know, he he's gonna live. Uh, he's not famous enough to be the famous killer at the beginning, but at the same time, yes. I thought that he would at least be living in, until the end. And something I was trying to remember, the party that they hold, which is explicitly written as being for him, right? Because you got the bit where Chad's going for Wes, which is quite lovely, just like the tribute at the end for saying for Wes. You know, you're yes. like, oh, but. It got me wondering, did they mention the party beforehand? Because in Scream 1, the third act party is built up quite early in the film. In passing reference to, oh, by the way, we're Halloween and we've got a curfew hat. Whereas in this one, I was like, they're at a party? And I watched the film twice. I didn't catch a reference <laughs> to it beforehand. I was like, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just a surprise, wasn't it? Because they took, they took mm. the detour to Amber's house to go and get the inhaler. I think it was everyone was surprised that they was having a party. Yeah, yeah. Like Sam's pretty like, well, I wasn't fucking invited. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty. You know, we're in hospital, being stabbed to death and dying, and you're having a friggin' knees up. Oh Jesus. God, this hospital, by the way, had the opposite problem from uh, Halloween Kills. This was the quietest hospital <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, this is a town that previously hasn't had enough police in it to have a curfew, right, that they could enforce. And like, this one, really, hospital, there's fuck all staff, and yeah. there's fuck all security. So, uh, yeah, that bothered me. I know when it's uh, when Sam's like, like, well, who's watching my sister at the hospital? He's like, yeah, but better to come for the sheriff. And it's like, well, he's the only one, one spare officer. Yeah, and then in the hospital, it's like, yeah, there's no other patients in the hospital by the looks of it. There's no other staff except like one. You know what I mean? It reminded me of uh, the third uh, Christopher Nolan Batman film, right? Where Gotham City, which is obviously a stand in for New York. All of the police force decide to go into that tunnel for some yeah. reason, right? <laughs> and then all get killed at once. And you're like, they must have more, right? <laughs> it's fucking New York. They can even kill the entire police yeah. force with one maneuver. Some of them must have had a day off. <laughs> it's the beauty of film, David. Anything is possible. <laughs> well, so, uh, oh, oh. Point disagreement, as I mentioned earlier, the Child's Play remake is ace. It gets completely dismissed, however, by Mindy earlier on when she's talking about, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, shit, when you do like a, a totally standalone sequel, and you're like, 
fuck you, girl. <laughs> on your side up until this point. I uh, quite liked that we've got the little tribute to Randy, you know, if uh, it's obviously Randy's sister back in part three, but you've also got yeah. the screen because we also get a tribute to Tatum earlier in the film where uh, Dewey's got like, is it her ashes? We can assume it's got something with her name on it anyway. Mm. And, uh, and that was cool. And also, I believe, yeah. I believe Sid went on to marry the guy from part four as well. Because when she uses the, uh, the, the officer's name, her, her husband, uh, as she's casually like going off, walk, going off with her kid in the buggy and stuff, that's kind of building back the world. There's something quite nice about the thought of Sydney being a, uh, being a mother who's like, yeah, I'm going to this, drop this just to go off and kill someone. I might have to do this every 10 years, but it's <laughs> part, part of my life, you know? Yeah, don't worry, Kincaid. I'll just, you know, I might not come back. Right? Yeah. Kincaid, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, it, I, it didn't, seems... I didn't pick that up on the on the first watch. That well, the only watch. Uh, yeah, it was Ross who highlighted that. Yes, I don't really. Not sure. I like the idea that they're all like into marrying and all involved, but whatever. Small <laughs> town. Yeah, the, that that was a bit lazy, if you ask me. But it seemed that Sydney's arrival, like the, the build-up, felt like she was going to, you know, come in kick-ass, take names, and then. It just kind of petered out until the finale. At the same time, we did something quite smart where we went, okay, well, we're, by killing off Dewey, then this means that you can personalise the conflict rather than just they're going to solve a murder. Uh, oh, yeah, defending, defending their friend. It's a bit like, uh, you know, the the refrigerator women uh, trope where it's like uh, being the woman in the fridge, it's where the woman dies so the guy's got a motivation. And in this, this, this instance, he reversed it where Dewey dies to give uh, the others a motivation. Because also, they killed the sidekick, which Amber is obviously the sidekick here. Whereas Richie had a personal conflict, and also it's Amber who kills uh, Dewey as well. Whereas Richie has a personal issue going on there with Sam. So I like that they've got Sam gets to kill him. You know, she still has the character journey. It gets botched for reasons we mentioned earlier with uh, <laughs> don't mess with the daughter of a serial killer, right? But. <laughs> I, I liked that. I felt, I felt, uh, it did feel like there were stakes. They were very self-consciously adding those stakes because, as we see in the dialogue, you got to kill a legacy character to have stakes. But there's just something so funny about these killers, these fucking these, these kids doing this just to get a good sequel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a funny concept. I mean, it's just as daft as any of the motivations from the first film to the last one. <laughs> But I just feel like the Scooby-Doo reveal went on a bit too much. It, it just seemed like there was one reason after another why they needed to do all this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the monologuing got a bit much. Although the, the deaths were pretty funny. Um, I can only assume Amber got torched the way she did as a reference to her a film we won't mention here but yes i assume none of a film yeah because uh, <laughs> throughout the film i was like uh, i've seen her somewhere else and then yeah at that point i was ah yeah <laughs> <laughs> folks have you guys got anything else you want to add about this one i i, I just w- also wait to mention briefly the bit where we're watching the recreation of randy on the screen and they redo yeah. that sequence from the first. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Timothy <laughs> is fucked, but I thought it was cool. 
Oh, but don't go to the basement was nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah there, there was the basement scene. That was that was pretty funny, especially in hindsight when it's revealed who the who the killer is. Mm. But I feel like it did get again. It did get a bit too meta for its own good at times, and I don't know whether this has come along at the worst time or the best time. Because we've had the likes of Ghostbusters Afterlife, Matrix Resurrection, Spider-Man No Way Home. All of those, you can say, have been pandering to nostalgia, to fans of the previous films at certain points, even films that have been released in the last couple of years, you know, Star Wars and all that. All of those have got moments where they're just pandering to the, you know, rose-tinted fans. And it doesn't serve any purpose other than that. And I feel we did get a bit too much of that with this one as well. Yeah, but to, to sort of paraphrase, or if I, do, if I can remember, if this is a direct quote with uh, Scream 5, hey, new girl, <laughs> this is the original. Like, Scream was doing this <laughs> yeah. decades before other series. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's why it's like, is it good or is it bad? You know, <laughs> so if it hadn't have come out at the same time, we've just had an absolute glut of rose-tinted nostalgia sequels. If it had come out six months earlier, six months later, would I have felt differently towards it? You know, it's mm. it's one of those things. It's maybe I do need to rewatch it a little ways down the line once I've you know forgotten about Spider-Man and all that. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's just bad timing on the distributor's part or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you? But you still have anything else you want to add? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, apart from obviously being in Woodsboro again and, you know, using Stu's house, um, you know, had them little ties to it, which kind of give it a feel, but it, it just didn't have the heart that the, you know, I really enjoyed Scream 2. I thought it was a, you know, pretty decent sequel. Of course, it's not, it's never going to live up to the first one. And, it even made this film made Scream Free look like it had more to it than it actually did. You know, for me, that's how disappointed I am with this movie that it actually it actually pushes Scream Free up the rankings. Um, but <laughs> but what really sort of did it for me with with this film as well, besides from like the, the teenage characters having next to no personality is that there wasn't really much tension building the kills uh, and the appearance of Ghostface just seemed to happen. There wasn't really that tension that being built like it was in the original movies. Everything just seemed to be sprung upon them. And then the deaths seemed, even when they were slower and more drawn out, that they were very just violent and quick. There was no sort of fright element built up. Even even with the scene with the Wes in his house, it was just lingering too long that you knew and maybe it's because we've seen the ball do it all before. You know, this is the fifth film now. We're kind of tired of the same formula. And like Jim mentioned before, I think it would have been interesting if they just killed the entire original cast off and make something fresh. But if they're just going to continue with, with kind of what they've got and do a really poor imitation of what we loved about the Scream movies, then I think they should just end it and... You know, I'll always go and watch another Scream sequel, but mm. I kind of stopped caring about it a long time ago. I, I think I, I agree sort of quite a bit with what you're saying there, but like for instance, with the heart, the relationship between the two sisters was more sentimental than I think the series has really been so far. And um, 
probably it like it felt a bit more functional. You know, you go, okay, we've not spoken to each other. Uh, immediately established, yeah, she's Loomis's daughter. And then she just goes through and goes, I'm going to tell you a secret that I haven't told you. And we're getting this happening in Act One, which felt like drama for later in the movie because then they're just they're they're really close from that point onwards, which didn't feel hugely dramatically satisfying, but. I, I think also with this series, though, we've had some quite unique in that it's a series that's gone on for 26 years. And yet we still have, uh, I mean, admittedly, this would be 25 years as mentioned going on for purposes, which have already come out. But we have some of the original cast. Like, it's nice that we've watched them grow up. You know, we've watched them enter, enter the Middle Ages. And I think that's really cool. I think that gives it a rewarding feel that no other franchise really has. Like... You got it's not my favorite franchise, but it's the one that we do follow these same characters for the entire thing. You know, it, it, and if this is the torch hand moment, like I don't think if we get another sequel, I don't think we're going to be seeing Sam in it again. But at the same time, if we do get another sequel, we don't necessarily need to see Gale, and we don't necessarily need to see Sid either. And it feels like this is the, this can be the transition movie. Now, I mean, I don't necessarily know that I want to see a whole lot more Scream. You know, for me, this felt like this felt like an ending. And it felt like an ending in a way that Part 4 didn't. You know, I mean, I said before in the mm. podcast of Part 4, fuck it, I wanted, uh, I wanted her, her niece to win. <laughs> but, yeah. but the hospital bit was tacked on. And um, I liked this kind of, this felt like an ending for me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really buy into the Sam and Tara sibling thing. I just felt like the whole oh, well, this is what happened and this is why Daddy left, you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, I, I didn't really buy into their relationship at all. It felt so sincere. It, it's, <laughs> it felt like it was going somewhere that it didn't. But a lot of hints to their parents and who they were. I thought, oh, is this going to be some character we've seen, you know, in the original film, maybe mm. one of the earlier sequels? But, yeah, it just didn't go anywhere. So that kind of felt... they lingered on that a bit too long with no payoff really mm. and I didn't really I don't know if it was because of the writing or the personalities weren't really quite developed to the characters I just didn't sort of buy any of the relationships really whatsoever even Chad's relationship with Liv and that whole thing at the beginning where there's that I think he was called Vince with his who's, who's at the bar you know the, the, yeah. got longer the moustache you know um I just thought, and they killed him off really early on, and we, we didn't even really know him, so we didn't really care. Oh, but we did get red right hand playing. I, I think that we were... Oh, God. <laughs> I, I think something we were trying to do there, and I don't think we succeeded. I'm aware of it, but when I give my score later, it's going to sound like all I did was take a piss out of this. But um, it, with, that, with that, it seemed like what we were trying to go for was the audience would somehow suspect Vince. So when Vince gets killed, oh, fuck. Like, but we didn't yeah. suspect him because he's or, a guy who obviously looks shifty. Yeah, or, or it could have been that they were trying to make it look like one of the kids from the bar did it as, you know, mm. payback or whatever. But again, it didn't seem to work that but way. Like when you got and, Chad saying, I'm going to introduce him to Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Yeah, as I say, it was probably one with the biggest personality of the group of kids there. I was, I quite liked him and uh, Mindy's relationship in it, like his siblings. I could buy that because they had a bit of banter. It was a bit of sort of, I don't know, you guys are your siblings, but it was a bit of sort of like piss being taken and things, you know, in a nice oh, way. Yeah. 
which we just didn't really have Samantara, where it was just so like uh, earnest and like you know, I felt abandoned when you left, and she's like, I never wanted to leave you. It was all be- it was all it was all, be- all because I was so hurt by this. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like I I thought I would corrupt you. It was like these sort of conversations. I could buy the characters had these emotions. I just didn't buy that they, they would talk about them quite so directly with each other. Like it just felt too pure. You know, too much like yeah. me- too much like we're meant to be moved by seeing them together. Which also, the other siblings in this series, uh, Dewey and Tatum, we just didn't have that with them either, and it was all the better for it. Mm. And like the whole where Sam's like, yeah, and then I got onto drugs because you know I'm mm. the daughter of Billy Loomis. It's that's such a burden to have on you, right? And it's you know if if she kind of like showed up and looked like a bit of a smackhead, I'd been you know a bit more yeah. convinced. But she didn't. She just looked like. Like, all right, you know what I mean? <laughs> a bit of show don't tell because she's like, mm. This was exactly why he did it. You're thinking, Okay, Luke, yeah, I can buy that that was a pre that would have been a pressure. When people get uh, go on to drugs, there's generally speaking not going to be just a single cause. But secondly, if you're making a big part of your character journey, if you went to this dark place, they should still sort of be in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Oh, well, you know, she's like, I've then got on drugs. But that was a few years ago, you know. Now I'm, I'm, I'm just chilled, Sam. Right? Like, there's just something a little bit too neat about the, the character development. Mm. Like, it felt like we were, we didn't, we did have an arc of some sort here, but also felt like we were seeing her at the end of a more interesting one. And I would have liked to see that sort of the darker place that she was being put more into this relationship, make this relationship with Tara a bit less huggy and, uh, oh, sister, sister, and make it a, a bit more, uh, like, a bit more restrained, a bit a bit more challenging, basically, for the characters and for the audience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it would have probably been a lot more engaging. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just doesn't really, again, go anywhere other than to serve them getting from A to B half the time, does it? So, and to serve some sort of narrative, as yeah. you know what I mean. It's all just trying for. Oh well, this is why I've been away. Bading. But when, when really the only character that looked like was having a hard time was Dewey. You know, he <laughs> yeah. you can tell that. You know, he wakes up in the morning and probably hits the bottle. You know, he looked a bit dishevelled. You know, he's yeah. living in the trailer. You know, he's a bit down on his luck. He's not having a good time. He's, he's the only one to retire as well. Yeah, you know, everything that he's kind of known and been has kind of take, been taken away from him, um, or he's walked away from it. Again, I, I didn't think he would walk away from Gail Weathers. So, yeah, so the rest of the characters, the teen characters, didn't really... They had nothing about them. You know, the twins were probably the most interesting ones. I think we should get to star ratings, because I've actually talked myself down. I was... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I was coming in going like, ah, oh, yeah, this is a this is a definite four star film, and I, I don't think I can justify giving it four stars any longer. I, I don't think I can. I, the thing is, despite everything I've said, I still really, genuinely, really enjoyed watching it. I thought it was really funny uh, when it wanted to be funny. I, I personally did think some of the kills were well staged. There wasn't, it didn't feel like there was actually very many kills in this one, but. I thought the opening bit was spot on. I I enjoyed the bit with Wes and Ticks. You know, I, I once we started getting the reveals towards the end, once you got the semi-remake of the first one, which is also by extension a semi-remake of the fourth one happening, I really enjoyed that whole sequence. But at the same time, there's so much wrong with this, actually, that I didn't really think about. 
particularly with with uh, Sam, you know, maybe it was and uh, Tara, maybe this was just uh, a thrill of seeing the original three again. But I think I'm going to go down to a three and a half stars. Sorry, we ruined your enjoyment. Now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck you guys. The smack of realism comes at your face. Four <laughs> uh, stars. What are you thinking, man? <laughs> Steph, what was yours? Yours? Are you? Are you, are you it's um, just going to be a one star, is it? <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to be that cruel because I've seen some shite in my time <laughs> and this isn't that bad, but it wasn't great. Two, two out of five. Reduce. And uh, Jim? Uh, I'm going to give it a three. It well, it wasn't terrible, but it just didn't have anything remarkable about it either. It's just, uh, it was fine. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first half, second half went downhill for me, but overall... Decent enough. You know, I was saying, like, oh, this is definitely the best sequel. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I think Scream 4 was probably a better film than this. Like, I preferred this to 2 and 3. But if I had to redo my order, I would really struggle between this and the fourth to be the second best one. I think the, the best moments of this were better than the fourth. But I also think the fourth uh, was probably like a, a more consistently enjoyable film mm. uh, i mean maybe even maybe I'll, maybe i just need a bit more distance i watched this film twice in the course of like five days which i wouldn't normally do it's just i wanted to take some notes because <laughs> i didn't do that first time around so i was sat in the cinema with my notepad like Ooh. but <laughs> see it's all the, the pressure of being the main host of these things but uh, first time i watched it i was a definite four Talking about it now and having seen it a second time, I think I'm now. I think I'm going to three, three, three point five. I think I might even watch the fourth one again because it's been a while. But they had a bit more about it, you know, especially with like the the streaming angle as well. Yeah, you know, it, it had it had more ideas. It had a bit of freshness, you know. Obviously, it was. I mean, when was Scream Three made? Early nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, two thousand, wasn't it? So I mean, quite a lot of. Mind you, I suppose if it's a decade later and then it's a decade later again, isn't it, to when this has come out? So, but Scream 4 had more to it. There was more that the main characters, uh, well, main characters, the, re- the returning characters had more of an input in it. The, the, even the characters, the new ones, had more of a personality. And we got to know them more, you know, when they were at the school and they were talking about the video vlog thing they did. There was just. He was more involved with them where these characters we had in, in Five Cream were just... <laughs> might, might as well not been there. Five Cream. Five God. Cream. It's, it sounds like some weird porno as well. <laughs> <laughs> Five Cream. Oh. <laughs> is going to be all about sequels and reboots which successfully revived film franchise so so keep in mind that not all of these are reboots but the sequels we have on this list there was a gap like you know we've got a, a decent length of time between some of them so 
What do we reckon? What are our franchise savers? Again, some of these are outright reboots. Some of these are just sequels after a long period. Star Wars. Thinking Star Wars is going to be one of these? Well, are we talking about like the original sort of just petered out and this kind of like a renewed interest? Are we talking that the originals kind of just went a bit shit and then... (laughs) <laughs> a bit of both so Star Wars is, is on this one uh, this isn't and it doesn't seem to be in order of quality but that's number 12 <laughs> in the Force Awakens I'm going I'm to go with Batman Begins that's uh, got yes. to be on there Batman Begins Ooh, is there yeah. that comes number 2 on this list and again I they, I don't know what the running order for this is it might just be a <laughs> list of because the number 1 of this uh, which by the way if this is a nice clue this came out January the 14th then the number one of this is uh, not the best example of a sequel or reboot. Um, <sighs> what film came out on January the 14th? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, Scream is, is, is not a better film than Batman Begins. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so Batman Begins is, it begins is on there. What else do we reckon will be on here? Halloween. Halloween 2018 is indeed on this list. Just try to think of original names because they all seem to call it the same bloody thing nowadays. <laughs> the hell out of it. Which um, I, I like to be referenced that in it. Um, yeah, another, that was funny. Another film of this list just uses the original name. Child's Play. Uh, Child's Play is mm. not on the list. Keep in mind that a lot of people didn't like it. This is the one that also uses uses the original name. Came out in 2013. It's really gory. And it's bringing back a series which began in the 80s and became really comical. Was it um, Friday the 13th? No, 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 no. It was Evil Dead. Ah. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. Wish I'd, I had kept it, bloody forgotten. Yeah, that's that's that. why I mentioned Friday the Fame for a little hesitantly, because that's not <laughs> as good as the others. So. Uh, I was that, thinking of the TV series then. I had completely forgot about the film. Another one that's a semi-sequel, it's, it's a semi-sequel, this one. Uh, well, fuck it, it's a proper sequel. Uh, but it's also doing a reboot uh, decades later from the original one, although it did have some sequels that no one cares about. Came out last year. Candyman. What? Yeah, Candyman is on there. It was the sequels and no one cares about. I gave it away. <laughs> and uh, here's another one which uses the original name. This is not a horror horror series. Uh, there were two of these and it's based on a video game and came out in 2018. That's your Ooh. domain, Jim. Tomb Raider. Yeah. Yes, Tomb Raider. I'd never saw the 2018 Tomb Raider. I heard it was quite good. It is. Um, it's a decent adventure action film, um, but pretty much just the same as the recent game reboot as well. Um, it lifts from that almost directly. So it has the same sort of issue as the recent Resident Evil film, although I would say Tomb Raider's a lot better than that. Uh, any any others that you got coming to mind here? Any Ghostbusters. Others? Ghostbusters is not on this list, which surprises me. Because obviously you had the mm. the all women yeah, line up for the series year ago, version, so yeah. that was um, Mortal Kombat. No, it's not on here. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, um, a couple of really. In fact, I'd say there's three which are all quite obvious, but I'm saying that it's a smug, a smug cunt with the list. Yes, yeah, Spider Man Homecoming is on this list. 
Yeah, but that, that was only like made. She got annoyed about Spider Man. <laughs> they keep making another bloody trilogy after like a couple of years just because they need to retain the rhyme. But it was a good, it was a good reboot example because people hated the uh, was it the Amazing Spider Man, uh, the Andrew Garfield yeah, ones. They they were yeah. pretty boring, to be fair. Which is even more surprising that in the latest Spider Man film, his is the better character. Oh, I loved the way he's feeling a bit inferior. Um, and it was just definitely met him very like he's like I didn't fight any good villains or do anything <laughs> you're amazing um, one of the most fun trilogies here is a uh, action action-y trilogy action adventure and for my money this is better than the Nolan uh, Batman trilogy this started again in 2011 what the heck am I talking about I don't know, but if you say Terminator, I'll smack you. Uh, term, term, uh, Dark Fate was pretty good, but uh, if I revived the series, it's not so on the list. Genesis. Yeah, so it was Genesis, exactly. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's been shit for ages. You go, no, no, part four was shit, and so was yeah. most of part three. The end of part three was nice. So this yeah. one's 2011, 2011, yeah. Uh, action. Yeah, action, 2011, and uh, this was the bringing back a series that went that did numerous sequels but a long time ago give you all a clue Charlton Heston oh Planet of the Apes yes the rise of Planet of the Apes I tell you what like that series I'd love to show on this by the way Rise of Planet of the Apes was fantastic Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was just the best action movie of that decade and uh, War of the Planet of the Apes was such a respectable finale like Caesar's arc throughout the trilogy spot on I've only hmm. seen the first one of that sort of. Oh, yeah, a, and, and yeah. I really enjoyed that. I've not seen the rest, and I don't know why. But I need for, oh, I need you got to have Yeah, fuck it. We, we will do an episode of Planet of the Apes trilogy. Here's <laughs> 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 um, Jurassic World or whatever on there. It's not. It's, it, I'm surprised actually. That probably could, that probably should have been on here. Like Jurassic World is quite respectable, and it was coming after two quite shite sequels. Um, what about oh, oh, Creed? Creed is not on here either. But in fairness to Creed, sorry, in fairness to the Rocky series, I thought Rocky Six was amazing. So like, oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, Creed, Creed can take or leave it. Uh, Prometheus and all that crap. <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, Prometheus is not on this list either. That's really it's surprising. Considering some of are very good. Yeah, and I don't care what anyone else says. I know it gets a lot of hate, but. Those two alien prequels are very good. Yeah, quite, I, I generally uh, I preferred Alien Covenant to Prometheus, but I, yeah, uh, I'm surprised it's not on there. I mean, it's certainly a step up from uh, Resurrection and also, or uh, Resurrectum as some people call it, and uh, <laughs> also the two AVPs. So I'll tell you, very, so it's including the honourable mentions, so number 19 is uh, The Matrix Resurrections. Which oh, is an honourable okay. men- honourable mention. It doesn't make. Yeah. I think it's only because it was recent. Number eighteen. Now this, I'm surprised, wasn't on there. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, a film that uh, I would say is even superior to its source material. Yeah, yeah I'd I, agree. We fucking went there, guys. Come out. <laughs> <laughs> Number seventeen is uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Now. I think what we're using here is there's a long delay between parts three and four. Right. Because part three was also quite a good film and I believe quite successful. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol. It is the best Mission Impossible, in my opinion. Well, actually, is it? Part 6 was really, really good as well, actually. Was Four Ghost Protocal the Burj Khalifa? Yeah, that's the ah, one. Ah, that was god damn. Cool fuck. My, yeah, part, my uh, favourite was the last one with uh, Henry Cavill in it. Yeah, that six, that six, that was action. just f- fantastic. One, one of the most consistent action films, like, just constantly ups the ante. Part one was great, too. Um, number 16 is uh, Bumblebee. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I wouldn't have considered that, because, you know, Transformers 5 only came out a couple of years before that, but... Yeah, because yeah, a lot of people, a lot a people absolutely hated Transformers 5. I thought it was all right. Uh, I mean, it was no... Like for me, I preferred it to number four. Uh, it was no, no better or worse than uh, than number one or three. And number two well, was just I, I gave up on number three. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bumblebee is the first one I've seen since. I, but I enjoyed that. Was a fun, silly little film full of daft tropes and transforming cars. So. But. I it's just fine. can't believe there's been five Transformer movies. I did not know this. <laughs> Prior to the spin-off. Yeah, one of the things we hear about how many Resident Evil films there are, and you go, really? Um, next up is, I mentioned this before, number 15 is The Evil Dead. Number 14. Okay, so for this one here, it's a prequel. We have Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy. So oh, can, Yeah, first class. Uh Perfectly good. I, I out of the trilogy, the new trilogy, I preferred Days of Future Past to this one. But at the same time, first class, I enjoyed seeing the relationship between Magneto and uh, and uh, Professor X. Like as someone who who wasn't like I grew up watching a cartoon, mm. I knew some of the comics, but I didn't really know much of the lore. So it was quite cool just seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I I actually enjoyed Apocalypse as well. Uh, I know a lot of people like that off as well say it's crap but yeah I, I thought that was just as good as the previous one whereas Dark Phoenix doesn't bear mention so <laughs> I think part of it was when Apocalypse came out by the time it was getting released it felt quite old hat because we'd already had the Marvel ones which were a bit kind of sillier a bit more fun than the X-Men ones and I think Apocalypse just sort of almost seemed like a film from a decade ago and like, I think yeah. Logan was a was a fantastic movie. That should probably be on this list as a. Was it, it's not really a reboot. I suppose it ended. <laughs> ended a fucking thing. Yes. But um, right next is number thirteen. This is a reviving a series, and we had an entry uh, as recently as last year. This is two thousand and six, and we had a new member fronting the series. Nice. Oh, I was going to say Casino Royale. Yeah, Casino Royale. What a fucking comeback. Number 13. Number 12, we mentioned uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So that's number 12. Closely related concept. This is a series that came back in 2009. Star Trek. Yes, exactly. Absolute credit to J.J. Abrams. Don't know about you guys. As someone who uh, wasn't a Trekkie, when this was coming out, I didn't believe you can make Star Trek cool, and <laughs> yeah. he absolutely did. I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's this film's fault that I actually got into the series as a whole. <laughs> Here is a gateway. Uh, the next one, we're going back to 2014. This is a monster movie that comes back, and it a... Godzilla! Yes, that's one. <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the Godzilla series. Next up... 
At number nine, it was uh, Halloween, so we mentioned this one prior. Number eight was Spider-Man, so we mentioned this one prior. Planet of the Apes is number seven, so already been. Number six was Candyman, we already mentioned that. Tomb Raider is five. Right, four. This one is one of the greatest action movies of the last 20 years or so. It was bringing back a series that was popular, hadn't done a movie for a very long time, and then came back in style in 2015. Mm. You got Tom Hardy in this. Mad Charlie's, Max. Charlie's, yes, that's the one. Mad Max Fury Road. What a film that was. See, uh, it's weird because I, I don't think of it as an action film. <laughs> More of a experience. <laughs> if there's any film I've felt shaken up, tossed around the room after watching, it's that one. It, it was that. something. We need a 4D screening <laughs> of Mad Max Fury Road. It was such yeah, just, a <laughs> it was such a great combo of like using like practical effects for the stunts, but also CG for the backgrounds. Like it just gave it such a cool aesthetic. I I, I thought that was a fantastic movie. Like I, I've not seen any of the original three either. You're not missing much. Oh, if you ask me, well, I think all three of them are fantastic. Yeah, Steph, we're going to get cancelled because, <laughs> because of our, our hot takes. Uh, the next one is a... Uh, this is a really good film. I'm surprised it's on the list, um, but I think it's because of the gap. between There's 11 years between uh, films. So the previous one came out in 1999. This came out in 2010. You'll know this one because I bet you saw this in the cinema and you almost cried feeling like part of your childhood was disappearing in front of your eyes. Oh. In a good way. And then even after we think, oh no, it's gonna go that way, it's gonna end sadly, we then got a really like one of those sort of happy cry moments. This was Toy Story Free. Oh. Oh fucking hell. No, hi. No. <laughs> you, you I was gonna step along before you? time. <laughs> that that film breaks me. Absolutely I just I'm an absolute mess at the end of that every time. It's even worse when you've got a toddler who loves the Toy Story films and you've got to sit and watch it with her every other day. <laughs> Christ. Like that, that whole part of the end of Toy Story 3 from where they're in the junkyard, potentially going to incinerate right through to the credits, I'm an absolute mess. <laughs> it's doing something like... Um... So it's like the reverse Elephant Man. You know how the Elephant Man has a really happy scene and then ends in a real, real downer after, immediately afterwards. You've got the theatre followed by the uh, death. It's uh, not a spoiler for anyone who... Cause I'm sure you're aware of the concept of the Elephant Man. Um, but then we have... Uh, like, But then this is doing, the, doing like what Shawshank Redemption does, you know, where you think it's just going to a really dark place and then... Uh, if it doesn't... like, I don't know if the ending of Toy Story is necessarily happy... But, like, it's full of feelings, mixed feelings. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it, I guess you're like, oh, it's nice that a new generation gets to enjoy Woody and stuff, but you're also yeah. like, <laughs> he's growing up. I'm going to be Miss Controversial, and I don't like Toy Story. <laughs> I'm not liking so much today, am I? It's 2022. I remember, new Year, hate everything. 
I've never seen like a list of films that apparently the Toy Story particularly makes men cry. I don't know if men get particularly sentimental about uh, about youth and things. You know, we always we always feel like, <laughs> oh, I'm maturing is what a man thinks until he's well into his thirties. You know, oh yeah, gotta take responsibility. But apparently that's one of them. And the other one of the others is Marley and Me, which I've never watched. No, I've <laughs> I, not. I don't have a dog, so I you know if a dog if a dog dies, like couldn't give a fuck. If a cat <laughs> If a cat dies, if a, if a cat dies, no, then uh, you know I'd be like, we got we got two kittens last year, Ellie and Joel, uh, named after, of course, the uh, the Last of Us, and uh, I was watching uh, Sleepwalkers, where there's quite a lot of kitties get killed in that. I was like, oh, we fucking hope you get killed now. Ah, uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> It's intense. Um, You've turned into a cat dad now, you know this. And then the other cat, your cats will start attracting other cats in the neighbourhood who will go, hey, get well fed here. And then before you know it, you'll just have like, a flat full of cats, you and your missus, just be low. <laughs> this is how it goes with cats. You don't choose cats. I mean, you might have got these cats, but cats will move in. This oh, no, no, but I tell you what, these are strictly indoor cats because we live next to a big road, which people probably hear in the piss poor production on this show. And... Um, it's a bit of a pet cemetery situation. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, if one of them got run over, I would totally try and bring it back as well. I'd be like, no, I need, I need to see you again, little Joel. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, last films on this list, by the way, are uh, Batman Begins, which we already mentioned, and of course, Scream otherwise known as Five Cream on this show. Yes. <laughs> I can yeah. only assume the running order of that list is what the writer could remember off the top of their head. So. Yes, yes. It's a bit, bit like when, when we're making show notes, you know, you're like, well, just put it in any order. And then you, you know, you, I don't know about you guys, I like to then set up columns of good and bad and then start writing notes down. Whereas you imagine if they just went, deadline in two hours fuck <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this, this is like a student doing for essay the night before or something yeah, um, yeah uh, so that's uh, that's Scream 5 everyone thank you once again for joining us it's been a been a good night you know some laughs some tears etc I don't know what we're going to be doing next there's lots of ideas as we always say uh, which one of them comes to fruition we don't know. Now, maybe it'll be a bit like Matrix 4. We just try a bunch of them at once and it doesn't really work. But, uh, <laughs> but for now, for now, we're clear of Hellraiser films. So for anyone who's been saying we're going, oh, fucking, what this podcast goes back to non-Hellraiser. We're back to non-Hellraiser. See you folks later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Check out horrorcallfilms.co.uk by White Bat Audio.